All right, well, we're going to dive into the Word of God this morning, and uh, I hope you guys are enjoying this series. I said last time that uh, I have to give a shout-out to my mom, who really was the, uh, the brains behind this sermon series. She wrote a curriculum called uh, Skeletons in Jesus' Closet, focusing on the four women mentioned in Matthew's genealogy. And so I uh, have rebranded that with her permission, and um, I, I bought the copyright license from my mom, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're calling this Black Sheep in the Manger. So these are the, the individuals in Jesus' genealogy um, that might be considered black sheep by some. And so today we're going to continue in uh, our series with the story of Ruth. But before we do that, of course, I want to start with a story, and uh, I'm going to practice getting really vulnerable with you guys. I'm going to share an embarrassing story. Uh, This takes us back to circa 2008, when I was first enrolling at Bethel Seminary. And it's my first day. I'm running late, and I am coming into class. I find my my cohort there in the classroom, and lo and behold... uh, this beautiful woman was sitting there in my cohort named Katie Moody, and, uh, and we were in the same small group. So there were some opening get-to-know-you kind of questions. And uh, one of those first get-to-know-you questions was, who are three of the most influential people in your life? And I answered... Very honestly. I mean, a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, Paul the Apostle and M- Mother Teresa. And, and, uh, and I was like, well, I think my campus pastor, my mom, and my ex-girlfriend. And, and she's, nice. she's, thinking, <laughs> she's thinking to herself, like, who is this guy that would just like, you know, air out his dirty laundry right in front of all of us and and I said, I think people influence us both for the good and for the bad. And at that time, uh, I had uh, been walking through just the pain of, of broken relationship, of uh, a, a family coming from a family of divorce that was painful, and then a, a very painful college relationship that I thought might go the distance, and it didn't. And, uh, and so, um, however, fast forward, Katie and I would start to date. It didn't ruin everything. So even if you don't make a good first impression, there's always a second and third and fourth, Amen. which I needed all of those. And, uh, and, uh, and fast forward, I'm, um, we're, we're dating, we're getting more serious, and I still have just this fear of abandonment in my heart, like fear that this, this, this one is going to stay with me, you know? And I remember her uh, taking me out uh, to a park one day, and she uh, handed me this gift, and I unwrapped this gift, and it's a pair of her own running shoes. And she said, James, I'm giving these to you because I'm not running away, and I'm not going anywhere. And it was a beautiful moment of, of God redeeming something that was broken and lost in my heart um, through somebody else. And so oftentimes our greatest pains come from people, I mean, and yet God uses people to also heal us and restore us. Um, the sentiment was a little bit less uh, meaningful when I found out that she goes through a pair of running shoes every six weeks. <laughs> but, still, but still meaningful nonetheless. So um, today as we talk about Ruth, it is a story about redemption. And there are many themes in scripture uh, that try to um, capture the essence of what the gospel is. 
Um, there are many themes such as justification, which you could think of is in a court of law. You know, it's somebody being justified uh, and their, their, their legal record being uh, erased or made right. Um, there's the theme of atonement, which is more of a religious idea of our sins being atoned for with a God and a God no longer being angry at us. There's the theme of adoption, which is familial, right, of, uh, of a father or mother adopting a child who was not previously in their family, into their family. And then there's this theme of redemption, which is actually a term. Redemption is actually a term that we would find in the marketplace. We still use this from time to time today, like if you were going to redeem a voucher or redeem a coupon. Uh, we still redeem things today, um, but God uses this in Scripture in a beautiful way to talk about the idea of redeeming people. Redeeming people. If you haven't ever read the book Les Mis uh, by Victor Hugo, which was made into a musical and a movie at various points, it's a great story. And I'm just going to tell just a brief synopsis. Uh, there's a man named Jean Valjean who was a French countryman, and he was caught stealing bread for his his starving niece at one point and was thrown into jail, and then he tried to escape. So he spent 19 years in jail. He finally gets out of jail. And uh, he is invited into the home of uh, a man named Bishop Muriel. And Bishop Muriel feeds him dinner. It gives him, gives him a place to rest as he's transitioning back into society. Well, in the morning, uh, Jean Valjean wakes up and he's still operating in this fleshly mentality that I need to take uh, in order to provide for myself and my family. And so he takes a bunch of silver from Bishop Muriel and he runs away only to be caught by the law enforcement. So the police bring Jean Valjean back to the bishop and the bishop is like, Jean Valjean, I can't believe you. I'm so angry at you. And Jean Valjean is just sitting there with no excuse. He, he's been caught red-handed. And then Bishop Muriel continues, he said, you didn't grab the silver candlesticks. I told you those are very valuable and I wanted you to take those with you. These are going to be very important for you. And the police are like, you gave these things to him? And Bishop Muriel continues to play into this and says, yes, I meant to give these to you. And so the police start walking away and Jean Valjean comes closer to Bishop Muriel and Jean Valjean says, what are you doing? And he said, with this silver, I have bought your life. And now I give you back to God. And it's this beautiful moment of redemption, of what it looks like to redeem a person. I love that. I, I can't even tell the story without crying. Don't, <laughs> if you're a softie, don't go watch the movie. Um, I want to start this morning by asking you a question that you're going to actually record. And so if you have notes or a phone, I want you to ask yourself the question, what would a more redeemed version of you look like? What would a more redeemed version of yourself look like? Would you be more confident? Would you be more honest? Would you be less fearful and anxious? Would you be more clear on what you believe? Would you falter less in familiar places of sin? Would you make healthier choices? Would you be less offendable? Would you take more risks? Would you not be stuck in patterns of dysfunction? What would a more redeemed version of yourself look like? And I want you to write down 
a few things of what it is. You know yourself better than anybody, you know. What would a more redeemed version of you look like? your hand if you've been able to write down one or two. You don't have to share them out loud, just so I know that. Okay, good, good, good. All right, well, let's get into it. If you want to open your Bibles to the story of Ruth, you can. We're not going to be reading this story today because it's four chapters long, and so for time's sake, I'm going to tell the story for you instead. Um, And I will paraphrase to my best ability here um, as we tell the story of Ruth. So, um, the story of Ruth takes place uh, during the period of Judges. So, this was um, prior to David, right? But after Moses and Joshua and, and, and the great leaders of, of early Israel. And so, uh, this story takes place uh, with a family uh, as, at the center of it. So, there's a man named Emmelech, and he and his two sons uh, and his wife have to make a journey. They go from Bethlehem, their home, uh, to Moab, uh, which is about a seven to ten days walk. Uh, and, and, and by walk, I'm not talking like a stroll. I'm talking like you pack up all of your things that you're going to have for the next few years, and you're, you're journeying long, hard days walking. And they do this because there's a famine in the land of Bethlehem. And so they're traveling to Moab where they heard that there was uh, produce and there was, there was an abundance. So they travel to Moab. And, uh, and there in that place, it says that the father, um, Emmelech, he passes away. He dies. And then, uh, which leaves his wife, Naomi, and his two sons. And uh, it says that after he passes away, it says that, that they married, uh, his two sons married Moabite women. And so Moabites at the time uh, were considered uh, the enemies of God's people. I mean, a, a crude comparison would be the Palestinians and the Israelis today. Uh, they were people that you were not to intermarry with. Uh, they were people that uh, you, were, you were to keep separate religious customs and not intermix with. And so his sons actually intermarry with Moabite women in that place. But then the story gets worse because it says that not only did the dad die, but the two sons die. And so this leaves three widowed women. You have Naomi, the the mom, and then you have uh, Orpah, and you have Ruth, the two daughters who are now widowed Moabites. And at that point in the story, uh, it says that Naomi, the mom, heard that now there was a produce and an abundance again in Bethlehem so they could return home. And so she decides and resolves in her heart she's going to make this journey, uh, even in her age, to travel back to Bethlehem, back to their home uh, where they can find an abundance again. And she looks at her daughters and she says, listen, 
I'm too old. I'm not going to have any more children. And even if I did, are you going to wait for them to become full-grown men? Like, it, you should, and she looks at her daughters, and she says, you should return back to your families of origin and to their gods. And uh, Orpa, uh, one of the daughters, uh, decides to return to her family of origin, and it says that Ruth clings to Naomi. And Naomi, uh, at that point, says, what are you doing? Look, your, 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 your sister has returned. You should do the same. She's like begging her, pleading her. And then Ruth, at that point, says this. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So Naomi and Ruth make this journey back to Bethlehem. And it's in that place that it's, it's harvest season and they are resorting to this concept of gleaning from the fields. This is a, a, a classic custom in the, in the Jewish practice uh, in which God instructed his people in the Old Testament not to, uh, not to go over the fields more than once, but to leave the gleanings, the extras, for the poor and for the foreigners. And so uh, Naomi's a, a widow uh, and Ruth is a widow and they don't have a lot of options. So they're left to, to glean. I mean, it's, it's, it's maybe equivalent to, to like food stamps today, right? And so they are uh, just doing what they need to do uh, to get by. And it's coming to the, uh, it, it's in harvest season. And Naomi tells Ruth that she has a family member from her husband in the land named Boaz. And so she gets this idea. She says, let's go seek his favor and maybe he will offer us protection or provision. And so uh, Ruth goes uh, into the field. She meets Boaz and Boaz is very favorable to her, very kind. And uh, he treats her with kindness. He offers her water. And then he says, I vow to protect you. I won't let anybody harm you. And, and, then, uh, and then he says to her, uh, come and have communion with me. Break bread with me. And so they break bread and they drink wine. And then he sends her uh, even with a gift at, after that point. So it's a very good day going very well uh, for, for Ruth. And she goes back to Naomi and tells her all that's happening. And, uh, and Naomi, of course, is, 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 is thrilled about this. It says that they continue doing this throughout the harvest season until the end of the harvest season. And now at the end of harvest season, you're kind of like, what do you do next? You're coming into winter. We don't have, you know, this thriving business. So what do we do? And so they're kind of desperate. And Naomi gets this idea. Uh, she says, hey, Boaz is next of kin in my family, so she thinks. And so perhaps he could be our redeemer. Meaning that, uh, again, if you guys remember from uh, the weeks past, there's this idea of the Leverite marriage, where if a husband passes away, then the brother would take uh, his wife. So Brian, get ready, okay? If, if anything were to happen to me, you're taking care of Katie, okay? And, uh, and so they have this idea that Boaz maybe could be their redeemer and redeem them. And so uh, uh, Ruth goes down to the threshing floor and everything goes uh, according to plan. And Boaz uh, shows favor to uh, Ruth and says, um, of course, I will redeem you. But there is one thing. There is one who is actually closer to me in our family than I am. And so I have to 
actually ask him if he would redeem you. But if he does not, I will redeem you. And so he goes uh, the next day before the city, uh, uh, the city council. He, he gathers 10 elders from the city, it says, which is custom of that time. And they sit down and, and he presents the case. And he said, um, uh, our relative, Emelech, has passed away. He's died. Uh, and now he's left his wife and daughter-in-law um, behind. He doesn't mention the daughter-in-law at first. So he says, hey, uh, he's left his property and his wife behind. Uh, do you, and he points to this next of kin, this individual that's even closer in relationship, do you want to redeem them? And mean, by meaning that, he would actually pay a sum of money. He would acquire all the property, including, at that time, the wives. And, uh, and he said, yes, I will redeem them. And then Boaz adds that little piece. Oh, and by the way, there's also a Moabite widow that comes with this. And he's like, just kidding. <laughs> Can't do it. It's not going to be good for me and my household. And so the guy passes on this opportunity, which then Boaz says, I will redeem you. And so he, uh, he ends up marrying Ruth, uh, and they end up conceiving, having a child together. And at the end of the story, you see this beautiful thing happen where the elders of the town bless Boaz and bless the family and bless this union and bless their future children. And then when, uh, when the baby is born, you see the women of the town uh, blessing Ruth and blessing this child and, and even saying to Naomi, like, this man has redeemed you. Like, praise the Lord for this man has redeemed you. You had no other options than this man has redeemed you, and now you're going to have offspring, which would have been the equivalent for some Jews at the time of eternal life. Like if you didn't have offspring, your life ended. But if you had offspring, you had the promise of life continuing. And so uh, for many Jews, this was the idea behind that. Uh, The story of Ruth is a beautiful story of redemption um, because, uh, and it's most often compared to uh, the story of Jesus redeeming us. And there's so many parallels. I'll share some of those uh, with us here. The story of Ruth is a personal story because you have this personal narrative of these individuals, but then it's also this parable uh, for all people. And you, you can see pretty easily Jesus is like Boaz in that he is our kinsman redeemer. He became like us so that he could redeem us. John 1, 11 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Secondly, Jesus redeemed us from the wrath of God, like Boaz going before the town elders. Jesus goes before the Father. He's our advocate. John, 1 John 2.1, it says that we have an advocate with the Father, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And third, he paid for us with his blood. 1 Peter 1, 18. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So it's like Jesus is like Bishop Muriel in the story of Les Mis, right? And he says to us, I have bought you with my blood and now I give you back to God. He has redeemed us from our sins. He has redeemed us from being hopeless and has given us an eternal hope and salvation. The end. Okay, everybody got it? That's the story of Ruth? Good, okay. I think that was faster than reading it.
We could try and, and I could compare, but let's not do that now. Okay, so I want to take a slight turn because most sermons would end there about the redemption that Jesus brings us through relationship with him. And I think we've heard that message before, and I think that's a beautiful and important message, and I hope I summarize that well. I actually want to talk about this morning, though, the redemption that relationships with God's people brings us. The redemption that relationship with God's people brings us. If, if Jesus brings us redemption, it's definitely the capital R, okay? So it's like the big R, redemption. Nobody can save us from our sins other than Jesus. So he's done that, okay? Uh, uh, don't, don't write me an email tomorrow being like, this was not biblical. Like, he did that. Jesus did that. He redeemed us once and for all. But then he also uses people to bring about redemption in our lives, little r. Does that make sense? Redeeming what was lost from the enemy, redeeming what was lost from the fall, redeeming what was lost from sin. God uses people in your life and in my life to redeem us. God's initial intent was for his people to be a redemptive people from the very start. So when when God came to Abraham and first gave him this promise of having these descendants and generations, he said this, Your offspring, in your offspring shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In other places it says, Anyone who blesses you will be blessed, anyone who curses you will be cursed, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. This was God's intent from the very beginning, that the people of God would be redeemers. They would be ones who actually help people be redeemed from the things of this fallen world. And relational redemption can be seen all throughout the story of Ruth. It's not not enough just to reduce Ruth to uh, a parable for Jesus' redemption in our life. I think there's actually some beautiful takeaways for us in terms of the relationships in our lives and what it looks like to covenant ourselves to God's people. Here are some from the story. The first, as I was pouring over and reading over the story of Ruth, I was looking for these themes, and one of the first ones I saw was Naomi first actually redeems Ruth in a way. Because three times in the first chapter, Naomi, the mother-in-law, refers to her daughters not as as daughter-in-laws, but as daughters. There was a adoption that took place in her heart where she adopted these Moabite foreigner women into her heart as her own daughters. Mm -hmm. That's a form of redemption. That's a beautiful way in which a a, a mother redeemed her own in-laws and said, you know what? You are family. Mm -hmm. You are part of us now. And even after her sons passed away, she still referred to them as daughters And then when Ruth insisted in coming with her, she permitted her. Secondly, we see that Ruth redeems Naomi. Because through Ruth's commitment to Naomi and her mother-in-law, I don't know if it was compassion. I don't know if she didn't like her family of origin. We don't know all those details. But whatever it was, it was a gift. It It was the greatest gift. It was her entire life she was pledging to Naomi. She literally leaves 
uh, Moab, her, her, her land of origin, to travel back with her mother-in-law and to live there. And not only that, but she says, where you die, I will die. Like it's a lifelong commitment. And so in that, Ruth redeems Naomi. Another form of redemption we see in the story is that the community of God actually embraced Ruth. Um, and this would have been what I like to call true Israel. So this wasn't the nation of Israel. This was like Israel really living up to that initial uh, uh, prophetic um, promise, that initial prophetic calling of God for God's people to be a blessing to all peoples, right? So um, the community actually embraced Ruth. Uh, It did say at one point the whole town was uh, stirred because they came back, all of a sudden three widows, I mean, and you can imagine some of the gossip or rumors going on, perhaps. You know, they're thinking to themselves, uh, wow, like, you know, you married these Moabite women, and now look what it got you. Like, your husbands all died. You know, like, uh, wow, you know, like, why did you bring them back? I mean, imagine like an Israeli and a Palestinian, you know, traveling back into like Jerusalem, you know, traveling to Jerusalem today. It definitely caused a stir, and yet um, we see at various points passages that actually talk about um, the community blessing them or upholding her as an honored woman and not actually um, uh, 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 and allowing her to glean. And so we see that there was, a, there was really a true Israel type of experience happening here with the community of God, a redemption that's happening in community. Another form of redemption we see in the story is that Boaz, of course, then redeems Ruth and Naomi. Um, and we covered those. Um, and ultimately, he, you know, he, he provided for her, uh, he protected them, uh, and then the ultimate act of redemption, he gave himself to them, purchased them, and brought them into uh, his home. And then uh, towards the end of the story, I shared this, the generations actually redeemed the next generation because the, the elders were blessing and praying for the next generation. So you just see this beautiful picture of a redemptive community, redemptive relationships, one in which um, people are blessing one another. They are welcoming the foreigners in. They are uh, adopting one another into their own families. You see this beautiful picture of the way God intended it to be. And then ultimately, we know that the offspring of Ruth, and because it shares her, her lineage, would be a few generations later, she gave birth to Obed, who was the grandfather of David, David, King David, and then King David from King David, we would, we would receive Jesus. Praise the Lord. And so the fruit of this redemptive experience, these redemptive relationships, was salvation for all people. I said at the beginning, so much of our pain comes from people, but God uses people to redeem what was lost. Uh, there's this family in my life that's very near and dear to me. Some of you have met them. They're called the Linstead family. And I remember after my, my parents were divorced, um, uh, this family became all the more important to me because they were a family where I could come in and they had uh, just a wonderful home and I knew their sons. I was good friends with their sons. And I had what was called refrigerator rights where I could just help myself to the refrigerator at any time. Kind of worked out because Randy, the dad, didn't like leftovers and I loved leftovers. And I was like, <laughs> I'll eat whatever you give me. So, um, 
the Linsteads were one of those ways for me that God redeemed my concept of family, of safety, of security, of belonging, uh, even though that was a place of pain and longing for me in my family of origin. God used people to redeem what was lost in a beautiful way. Um, some other themes in my life of redemption would be that fear of abandonment that God allowed Katie to, to, uh, to redeem in my life. Um, I had a broken relationship with my father, and then my campus pastor uh, taught me about the father heart of God. And it started this journey with me of, of really knowing that God is my father, and I receive identity from him. I receive provision from him. And so I can actually extend grace then to my own earthly father, which has been and brought about the restoration of my relationship with my earthly father. Um, other themes of redemption in my life um, were uh, the church itself. You know, there was a period of time where I was disillusioned with the church. But then God brought certain people into my life, certain men, a guy named Jimmy, a guy named Jonathan, a guy named Robert. And these men helped redeem my idea and my vision of what church could be and should be um, in a time where I had lost faith in it. And so, so much of our pain comes from people, but God uses his people to redeem what was lost. Do you have the kind of relationships that bring about redemption? The church today is often so shallow in its relationships, and it, it breaks my heart. I mean, we use terms in churches oftentimes that, that speak to this. I mean, we use terms like online viewer, attendee, uh, a visitor, a guest. But do any of these things actually speak to real, devoted, covenant-like relationships with one another? What might we learn from Ruth's level of commitment to God's people? Here are some things we can learn from the Word of God and from the story. Ruth and Orpah, the two daughter-in-laws, they were at a crossroads in their life. And they were about a day's journey, probably, give or take, from their family of origin because they were already in Moab and they were Moabites. So their families, their extended families, were probably a day's journey away. Or they could go 10 days journey. You know, I mean, Naomi's not traveling at a fast clip, so they're probably going to take the full 10 days to make this journey. So what was it that happens? Orpah decides to go back to her family of origin, and Ruth decides to go with Naomi. Uh, these, these women are, for us, a picture of what it looks like to make a difficult decision. Um, because... At the end of the day, uh, you're going to have to make some difficult choices when it comes to relationships in your life. And each of us are going to have to choose uh, who we invest time into. What community of faith are we going to be invested in? Uh, you can't be both places at the same time. Um, Ruth was at a crossroads and she made a choice. She made the difficult decision to invest in and commit herself to Naomi. Relationships that bring redemption will require prioritization and sacrifice. Um, I, would, I would use the story to just illustrate that it's kind of this 10 to 1 ratio where like you think of your people. You think of the people that are your people, your, your community, your church family, your oikos, your, uh, your people. 
I hope you have a 10 to 1 type of ratio with how much time and commitment and sacrifice you'd be willing to make in those relationships over other casual friends, acquaintances, opportunities to travel and have adventure. Like, do you have a 10 to 1 type of ratio with the people of God in your life? Or is it more one-to-one? Where you're like, yeah, I like these people, but I like these people too. Like, would you be willing to go the distance with the people of God in your world? Ruth was in it for the long haul. She said, where you die, I will die. Relationships that bring redemption are not temporary. It's this idea of like, hey, we're in this for the long haul. Like, you're my ride to die. Ride or die? Ride to die. Ride or die? <laughs> Ride until you die? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I remember Katie and I were just uh, at, a, at a crossroads in our life where we had to decide what community of faith we were going to be invested in. And it was a very hard decision for us to move our family from Minnesota, where we wanted to ultimately be, to San Diego. And I really believe that the reason God put that on our heart was for relationship, because there were people there in that community, in that stream, in that tribe of churches, that we were saying, like, these are our people. Like, we're in this for the long haul with them. And it hasn't been easy every step of the way. I mean, there's challenges with any relationship. There's disappointment with any relationship. Um, But God has used that relationship with this family of churches to bless us immensely. And I hope that eventually you as well. But it's required commitment. It's required literally us making life choices that would change where we live in order to be a part of of this family of churches and uh, these people of God that God had brought into our life. Relationships are not so easily replaceable. Ruth was resolved in her attentions and pushed through Naomi's persistence in like going home, like go home. Naomi's like, don't, don't come for me. Like she wanted a better future for her, for her daughters. But, uh, but Ruth pushed through that. And she's like, no, like, I'm, I'm with you in this. And so I think there's a lesson there for us. I think oftentimes we wait for people to want us. Like, we wait for people to, like, initiate with us and say, like, oh, you're wanted here. And, like, instead, like, Ruth took the initiative. She was assertive. And she said, no, like, you're my people. Like, I'm coming with you. Like, I'm not going to, like... You know, has a friend ever been like, I'm not worth it, you know, or whatever? Like, you got to press through that and say, like, no, I'm good for you and you're good for me. And, like, we're in this. Like, don't give me that, don't give me that, like, go home kind of thing. Like, I'm in this. Uh, I mean, real practically, uh, I think oftentimes we kind of, like, put blockers on from people actually serving us with kind of like, no, I'm okay. I don't need anything, you know? And I think you as a friend sometimes just need to say, no, you know what? You're like, you do need me right now. Like, you need me to show up. Like, I know, you know, whatever, your house is a mess. I know, whatever, you, you have lots of money and you don't need this right now, but you need relationship and you need me in your life. And so I'm just going to insert myself into your life right now. I'm going to drive across town. I'm going to do whatever it takes and be there for you right now where you are. God is calling us into redemptive relationships. Here are some rules of redemption. 
Number one, you can't redeem yourself. So stop trying to redeem yourself. Someone else has to do that. Uh, you can't all of a sudden put money on yourself and be like, I'm valuable. You know, people try to do that. Um, but we are bestowed with worth from somebody else. Ultimately, again, the big R from God himself gives us that ultimate value, but then from people and relationships that redeem us. We need people to be redeemed. We can't redeem ourselves. Um, so many times, we as Christians, especially here in America, are trying to do this without relationship. Like, we read books, we listen to sermons online, we listen to podcasts, we even go to conferences, but that is no substitute for relationships that bring about redemption. You can't redeem yourself because you can listen to all those things in theory, but until you have like somebody in the flesh and blood to be like, Aaron, you stink. Like, you have this blind spot and you don't know about it. Like, I'm here because God is bringing me here to show you something you need. Like, you, you can't, you don't have that accountability. You don't actually stink. You smell. Um, we all have blind spots. We all have uh, uh, these, these, these places in our life that, um, that, Unless there's somebody else there, there will never be redemption taking place. Like, the redemption doesn't happen without relationship. Rule number two, you can't redeem another person if you are spiritually broke. So simply, to the degree that you get whole, you will bring healing, right? To the degree that you get filled up in God and you have something like this, this worth in of yourself, you believe... In, in your own worth, that you're like, I am valuable, like, then you can give that away, but you can't give away what you don't already have. I mean, simple rule. Rule number three, you won't be redeemed by other spiritually broke people, okay? This means that if somebody doesn't have the God factor in their life, if somebody doesn't, isn't being redeemed by the Redeemer himself, if somebody isn't being made new, isn't being sanctified by Jesus, it's going to, they're going to fall short in terms of how much they can actually bring to you and bring about redemption in your life. Uh, they might add a little something here or there, but at some point they're going to fall short because they're going to run out of their own resources in and of themselves. You need the God factor. You need the Jesus factor in your most covenanted relationships. Okay? So let me be very clear. Am I saying that you can't have Christian friends? No, I'm not saying that. Nowhere did Jesus say you can't have Christian friends. In fact, it says about Jesus that he was a friend of sinners, okay? He had lots of non-Christian Jewish friends, okay? What, I, what Jesus is saying, and this might be preposterous to you, you can't have non-Christian family members. When Jesus' disciples came to him and said, hey, your mother and your brother are outside looking for you, he said, who are my mother and my brother? but those that are doing my Father's will. When we think about the family of God, when we think about like covenanting ourselves to God and His people, we have to make sure that the, the most precious ones, the ones in our inner circle of our families, of our, of our lives, are those that worship the same God. We can't say like, your God will be your God and my God will be my God and your people will be my people, but... My, you know, like we can't do it both ways. Does that make sense? Because at some point, there's going to be a great breakdown of, of worldviews, of ideologies, of value systems. And whether you see it now or in 10 years to come, there's going to be a breakdown and that relationship won't be able to sustain without that third cord in that strand that is not easily broken. Does that make sense? 
uh, I was uh, meeting with a pastor friend of mine, and he was saying how he had coffee with one of his friends recently, and a friend of many years had just uh, kind of said nonchalantly, you know what, like, we're not doing the whole, like, church thing, we're not really Christians anymore. And, and my friend Brad was like, what are you talking about? Like, do you realize, like, what this means for us? He was like, it's not that I can't love you and care for you, but, like, this was something that we shared, like, so intimately, so preciously. And relationships, um, gosh, I don't want to go too deep into this, but relationships aren't just about two people. There's always a third thing that a relationship involves. There's always a, a third thing that, like, it might start with, like, a friendship, where a friendship, you guys both like soccer. Well, your, your relationship starts forming around soccer because you guys like soccer. Well, if one of the players gets injured and doesn't play soccer anymore, you're going to have to find something else to connect on. There needs to be something else that you're connecting about. And, and so uh, this God component, if it is at the very core of your relationship, um, you'll have that, that thing shared, that, that thing that you're sharing together. And if that is gone or if that's missing, uh, that relationship will be missing the most precious, most important thing to you. And it will affect the relationship. So what would it look like for you to build a redemptive community here and now? We're getting towards the end here. I'm going to land this plane. Ride to die. <laughs> what would it look like for you to build a redemptive community here? I believe that here among this community that we call All People's Church, let me tell you, church is not a building. It's not a 501c3. It's not, a, it's not just an organization. It's a community of redemptive relationships covenanted to God and to God's people. That's what, that's what church is. In any, any given time or space, whether it's first century Asia or 21st century America, like that's what we're doing. We are God's people covenanted to Him and to His people and we're doing that here under the banner of All People's Church Twin Cities. And I believe that people will be redeemed through our church. This is, this is the whole reason we did this thing. We planted a church because we want people to be redeemed here. We want the ones who have felt completely like an outsider to be redeemed and to be brought in. We want those that have felt like they don't have a family to be adopted into a family knowing who they are. We want people who had failed first and second and third marriages to be redeemed and to see, here's a covenant that does not break ever, and you are welcome here in this place. We want to see people redeemed from the pits of hell, that the things that Satan has ravaged their lives with, with, with addiction, uh, with, with low self-esteem and self-hatred, we want to see people redeemed. And it's only going to happen if they have a family to come into, a covenanted family to come into where they say, oh... I belong here. Oh, I receive identity here. I receive worth here. There's something valuable here. If you're just doing your like one-off Christian thing, living your life, and you meet somebody, you won't have anything to offer them because you don't have a family of God connection. You won't have this covenant to bring them into to say, hey, you are safe here. You are secure here. Boaz could have given them all the money in the world, but ultimately the greatest gift he gave was himself. Like Boaz gave himself to Ruth. 
And he said, I will be yours and you will be mine. The greatest gift that Ruth gave to Naomi was herself saying, I will be yours and you will be mine. When Katie and I were married, we said these very words. We said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And we covenanted ourselves to one another. Not only will people be redeemed here, but you will be redeemed here. This is my firm belief. You will be redeemed here. And so going back to the initial discussion question, the reflection question, those things, if you want to see those things actualized in your life, if you want to be redeemed, if you want to become a better version of yourself, more like Jesus, you've got to be committed to the people of God. Not just to God himself, but to the people of God, because God is going to use relationships, people in this very room, to bring about your redemption. Here are just three real practicals for you as you're preparing to make that move towards committed relationship with God's people. First, make major life relocation decisions based on relationship and connection to spiritual community. Not just cost of living, not just preference of climate, not politics, not even career opportunities. Yes, take those things into consideration, but at the very heart of your discernment, I hope you find yourself saying, Jesus, where are my people? Where are my people? Don't just assume you'll find a church when you get there. I've seen that disappoint people time and time again. Like, really ask the Lord, where are my people? And go and find them. Number two, you got to close the church discerning loop. <laughs> Naomi is about to leave, and you've got two choices. Like, you've got to make a choice. Don't live in limbo forever. So many Christians ejected from church during COVID, and they've just been in this holding pattern, kind of like, just kind of feeling it out, not really sure. You've got to land the plane. You gotta land the plane and you gotta make a choice. And and frankly, I don't care if it's here. Like, I want you here, but you've gotta to wanna to be here. I just want you to be somewhere planted. Because the Bible's so clear that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Yeah. Like your life will flourish if you are planted in the house of the Lord. And so uh, some of you have to ask the question, like, who are my people? Are these my people? Maybe maybe they are, maybe they're not. Am I your pastor? Like some of you have to like answer that question for yourself. And I, I welcome your questions and discussion. If you're still wrestling with something like, let's get together, but let's have those conversations instead of just kind of like hoping that one day you're going to wake up fully resolved. Like work towards resolve, take initiative and land the plane. Thirdly, you've got to define your people and then articulate your intention. Okay. So this goes for friendships, discipleship relationships, your life groups, your pastors. Like, tell them, you are my people. I'm in. Like, I'm here. And you can count on me. I'm counting on you and you can count on me. Like, make that decision and articulate that with the people in your life. Every new year, um, Katie and I will do a sort of uh, recollection of the previous year and looking towards the new year. And one of the things we do is just really define, like, who are our, our closest friends? Like, and we just say, okay, like, let's, God, answer that question. Help us to know who are the ones that are going to be my closest three. I ask like closest three and then you've got other layers, right? And then I, I, I let them know like, you guys are my people. You guys are my guys. Like, just so you know, if I'm having, going through this, like, 
you're going to be the first one to know about it. And then I prioritize investing in those relationships. You've got to define your people and articulate your intention. That goes for friendships, for discipleship relationships, life group pastors. Tell them, you are my people. I'm here. You can count on me. And again, maybe here, it might be elsewhere. But land somewhere. Psalm 92.13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. So I hope you're ready to be redeemed. Sometimes the process of redemption is painful, but it's going to be beautiful. And I hope you're ready to redeem others because God is going to use you in a beautiful way to redeem others. Like the body of Christ needs you. You have something to give. There is somebody praying for a best friend right now and you're going to be the answer to that prayer. Like there are people praying for a mentor and you're going to be the answer to that prayer. There is somewhere some teenage kid sitting around without a father figure in your life and you're going to be their spiritual father. Like, there are so many ways in which God is going to use you to redeem a broken world. So get ready. It's going to be good. Amen? God, we thank you that you redeemed us. We thank you that you purchased our lives with your very blood. And we thank you, Lord, then that you entrust to us this ministry of reconciliation, of redemption, to us, your church. And God, I pray that we would be a people who covenant ourselves to you and to your people, Lord. That we would say to you, Jesus, your father will be our father. And your people, your church, will be my people. God, we love you and we're so thankful to be in your family. We're so thankful to be adopted into your home. And Lord, I pray that we would extend that same redemption to others, Lord, who are so desperate for worth in their own life. Thank you for the story of Ruth, Lord. God, I pray that these truths would stay with us, Lord, in this week to come and in this season as we prepare to begin anew, in a new season, Lord, and help us to know our own action steps and what you're calling us to do in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys. Thank you, James, for sharing that with us and into our lives. I'll just close this by making it.